Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10 through Jonah 4, verse 4. When God saw it, when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Chris. Well, we're going to be finishing up Jonah this week and next week, just to kind of give you the lay of the land. This week, we're going to focus a bit more on Jonah, and next week, we're going to focus a lot more on God. Not that we won't talk about both uh, throughout, but that's kind of where we're going. Now, as we come to this text, as Chris read it, uh, it seems really odd, right? Like, a story doesn't end like that. It seems like the end of chapter 3 should be the end of Jonah, uh, like, Massive conversions are happening, the end, and they all lived wonderful lives. But that's not how the story ends. The story continues after God relents from disaster and people turn from their evil way. And it, Jonah says, it says here, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. And in the original, the anger is there, just like, like seething, almost like evil anger is kind of what is described there. And so it doesn't really make sense to us because if, if, for example, I was someone who was an artist and I got my, you know, pictures displayed in a prominent art museum, would, would I get angry? No. Or if, say, I was... a played uh, an instrument. I was a musician, and I got to play in a place like the Grand Old Opry or something. I think that would be rather exciting. So it's really baffling how a prophet sees the message that he speaks bear amazing fruit, and he gets angry. So there's turmoil in Jonah's heart, and we're going to unpack, well, why is that there? Why would Jonah do that? And before we do that, let's pray. Father, uh, there is much here for us to learn. But we could, we could go home now because what we sung about, about you running after us and your abundant mercy, Lord, would be enough to fill us up until Jesus comes back. But I pray, God, that you would open our eyes, open our eyes to see uh, what's going on in Jonah's heart as best we can, and open our eyes to even see what's going on in our own hearts. God, we want to be having one God and you alone because of what Jesus has done. And so would you direct our gaze there this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 
So why was Jonah in such turmoil of heart? That's what we're going to kind of go through. Well, the first thing I think we need to go to when there's turmoil of heart is that Jonah had a theological problem. He was thinking wrongly about God. Now, he does pray to the Lord. In verse 2, it says, and he prayed to the Lord. And the, the word Lord there is referring to uh, Yahweh, God's covenant name with his people. Meaning like he just has this unique relationship with his people. Jonah understands that as he goes to the Lord, but he's kind of confused because that intimacy that he expects to have with God, he's expecting to have with his people, but he's not expecting it to happen with other people. And then he goes on and he quotes what comes from Exodus 34. And he, he says, but, but before that, he goes, Oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's almost word for word from Exodus 34. And so you're like, how can you know that, but yet you're wrestling? Well, what's going on there for Jonah is God is not, God is being that for everyone. God is being this gracious, merciful God for everyone. And Jonah just wants it to be for his people. He doesn't like the fact that God's grace is being extended, his unmerited favor to all peoples. He doesn't like the fact that mercy is being extended to all peoples. He's kind of like the, the older brother in the prodigal son story. You know that story where, you know, there's, there's a son who takes his inheritance, he completely leaves, blows it all, gets to a place where he's eating with pigs, he finally humbles himself and he comes home, father sees him a long way off and runs to him, he has the, the fatted calf, uh, sacrifice killed so that they can have a wonderful meal. There's a big party and all while that's going on over here, kind of in the corner is the, his older brother. The older brother is just kind of like, mm, I can't believe that you are having a party for this slime bucket brother of mine because I've done everything I'm supposed to do. And yet the older brother has been living with this loving father the whole time. And that's what's happening with Jonah. He, does, he, he, he misses the fact that he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He doesn't want it to be there for others. So he has a wrong view of God. He's actually twisted his view of God. Ultimately, Jonah wants a God of his own making rather than just delighting himself in God and letting himself be changed, rather than wanting God to change to be the God that he wants him to be. You see, when we want a God of our own making, we begin to worship something that is not God. And that's what happened with Jonah. So his, his theological problem leads him to an allegiance problem. It leads him to an allegiance problem. Now, he expresses 
what, you know, a, a discouragement here. If we look at verse three, it says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, he's at the place where whatever he's been worshiping has just come crashing down. So he's just ready to be done. And when what we worship, if it's not God, is obliterated, we are left with confusion, we're left with anger, even desperation. Now, I'm not saying that there's not righteous anger. Certainly there, there's righteous anger when we're legitimately, you know, angry about the things that God would be angry about. But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's the one that carries out his vengeance. We don't carry it out. And rarely do we experience anger as it, we express it anyway. That's righteous. And there's often a wrong view of God and a wrong allegiance that we have. And when we get angry, we, we immediately are like charge God with not doing something rather than going, Lord, is this emotion happening in me right now to, to reveal idols that are in my heart? Are there things that I want that I'm not getting? Are there things that I'm getting that I'm not wanting, because Jonah's anger shows that he has, he's lost something and he's replaced it with something other than God, which should be his main source of joy. Tim Keller helpfully states this. He says, when you say, I won't serve you, God, if you don't give me X, then X is your true bottom line, your highest love, your real God, the thing you most trust and rest in. Here is Jonah saying to God, who should be the, so this God, who should be the only real source of his meaning in life. He's saying this to him, I have no source of meaning. You're, you're not meaning in my life. Because he was putting something else in place of God. Now, we could go down many different roads and talk about idols that we could have in our life, and there's no way we could give application to, to all of that. But we need to ask that question when things come crashing down and we get angry. Is, is there something that we are placing our hope and our trust in that isn't God? Now, in Jonah's situation, Jonah is placing his country above his God. He was a patriot of sorts. He was fired up about the political and military environment that he was living in. He was supportive of his king who was expanding the borders of the northern kingdom. And, you know, he was fired up about that. But he was idolizing his country over his God. And when his country wasn't the source of God's blessing, then he was discouraged, despondent to the point where he was like, I would rather die. Now, this isn't the main point of the text, but I think, I think I've seen Christians in our country in recent years, and it's not been recent years, I'm just not old enough to speak to things from ages past, hold on to the country more than God. They're holding on to the country more than God, putting the country or being a patriot ahead of, of serving God. And when we put the country ahead of God, it's idolatry, and that's what was happening with Jonah. 
Should we be involved in government? Absolutely. Should we run for public office if that's what the Lord leads us to do or, or vote because we have that privilege? Yeah, I think we should. I think it's a wonderful privilege because most people in the world and throughout human history did not have that privilege. But people show know us more for our allegiance to Christ than our allegiance to a country or political views. They, they should. Tim Keller helpfully says, he says, when Christian believers care more for their own interests and security than for the good and salvation of other races and ethnicities, they are sinning like Jonah. If they value the economic and military flourishing of their country over the good of the human race and the furtherance of God's work in the world, they are sinning like Jonah, their identity is more rooted in their race and nationality than in being saved sinners and children of God. If, if someone were to get on your social media or have a conversation with you uh, when you're at the farmer's market or at work, are they more aware of your opinion about politics or news events, or are they more aware of the aroma of Christ in your life? What are they more aware of? Would they know more about your political affiliation, or would they be more aware that your life's been transformed by the power of the gospel? And I'm not saying we don't ever have conversations about politics, but our country should always take second to our allegiance to Christ. There was a song that I remember singing in college that was totally a 90s worship song. It was called, I Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. And it went like this, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor his commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. That is our first and most important allegiance in our life is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't know, maybe someday this little clip from the video that we show for folks who need to watch at home, maybe that will be snagged. And I'm going to say my allegiance is to Jesus before it is to our country. And it might put me in a place that's, that's less than helpful, jail or something else. But that is where my allegiance lies. And that's where our allegiance first needs to lie. And it's rooted in the heart of God is my God and there is no other. There's nothing else I'm going to worship or put my energies into more than into my relationship with God. Now, Jonah's allegiance problem also went hand in hand with, with self-righteousness. He, was, he had a self-righteous problem. Jonah looked down on other people. Even back when he's praying in, in chapter 2, in verse 8, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. In the midst of this, this prayer that he's realizing God's mercy for himself, and at the end he says, salvation belongs to the Lord, but not for these people. Salvation is for me, but not for these people. I'm not like these people. Like the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, if you want to flip to 
Luke chapter 18. I just want to read it briefly. Jesus says this. He also told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We must not assume that we are different than Jonah. It's easy to come to Jonah and be like, I wouldn't be like him. There's no way. I'm not, I'm not like him. I mean, if revival comes uh, after I share the gospel with some friends, I am going to be so excited. I'm just not like Jonah. But I think it's helpful to have God's word just kind of expose us, to us ask the questions, Lord, is there something here that I need to know? Is there something that here that I need to be exposed? Because the Pharisees would kind of just look at other people and immediately push them down rather than be humble. Like, like the, the tax collector who, who humbled himself and said, be merciful to me, I'm a sinner. So I think there's some good questions that we could ask because Jonah's just like, I'm done, I want to die. Verse three, he's just angry. But oh, would it have helped him to just ask some questions? Questions like, that are heart-probing questions that kind of get at the root of why we might get angry. Do I rejoice at the failure of others? That could help us understand if we have a self-righteous problem. Do I rejoice at the failure of others? When, when I see that individual in my neighborhood that has their dog keep coming and and, and dropping their business in my yard, and when, when something happens to them, I'm just, I just get excited about it. Or maybe it's that person at work that's just been, you know, they got the raise, you didn't get the raise, and then they finally got fired, and you're just like, yes, so glad they got theirs. Or, or harder, like, have you looked at someone else in the church or another believer that you know and, and seen them struggle with something, and you're like, yeah, it's because they're doing that thing. Of course, do, do I rejoice at the failure of others? You know, um, you know, I, we 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 live in a culture where where we're rejoicing at the failure of of political leaders. It doesn't matter what our political affiliation. This is this has just been commonplace in our country, right? We just rejoice when leaders fail. Actually. Let me qualify that or, or change that. We rejoice when the leaders we didn't vote for fail. We make excuses for the leaders that we did vote for, but we, we rejoice when, when leaders fail. But yet we are called to pray 
for our leaders. Because it's God who establishes leaders in our nation. It's God who, God established a leader in Nineveh who was clearly not a righteous leader. And yet God moved to where his heart was changed. Would God move if we were to pray? We need to believe that God's the one that establishes leaders. We need to kind of put off this whole, like, no, this person isn't supposed to be there. I mean, the Bible is pretty clear that God establishes in Romans 13. It's second half of Romans 13, 1. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Let's remember that. Elections in our country for in my lifetime have been disputed. Every single one of them uh, that I can remember since the oldest time when I cared, and I don't know that I actually cared, but I just kind of remembered enough. Like, it seems like everyone, I could go down the list. The, those that were on the other side of the political aisle were like, this person wasn't fully elected, or they didn't get the majority of the vote, or they didn't have this, or they didn't have that, and there's just this constant, this person isn't supposed to be there. Guys, we need to stop that. Every leader is instituted by God. We need to stop being about our country, what we need to make our country. We need to be about what Christ is about. Now, I just, that's an aside. That's not the main point of this text. We need to evaluate our hearts when things come up. Am I, am I jealous of others because of God's common grace? Am I jealous of them because they have something I don't. Jonah was jealous of the people of Nineveh because all this is going on and it's not happening in his nation. It's happening with these other people that are wicked. Or am I jealous when someone gets blessed financially or someone sees their kid get what I want for my kid or when, you know, whatever it is. It's a good heart level question for us to ask. Do I get angry when they get what I want? Heart level question. Last heart level question. Do I distance myself from certain people or certain people groups? As that's what Jonah was doing. You know, he could have gone running back into the city as people came, as we're going to learn next week. Jonah's outside the city, kind of waiting for God to still judge his people. And he's not going to judge these people. He could have been there teaching them about God and the amazing things about God, but he doesn't. He, he distances himself. We need to ask, if, have, have I ever distanced myself from someone of a particular race or ethnicity? If we have, we might be like Jonah. Have I distanced myself from someone who has say, says they're from a particular sexual orientation? Now, I'm not changing what, what the Bible says in, in the beginning of Genesis about God creating us male and female. He's created us male and female. And he's created marriage to be between a man and a woman. So that's that. We believe that. But we're not called to distance ourselves from folks who are different. Actually, we're to be like Jonah and immerse ourselves in those spaces and places where God doesn't appear to be so that we can be a light in the midst of darkness. Do I distance myself from people of a different political affiliation? The people who had a sign for the person I didn't vote for. Do I talk to them? Do I distance myself from someone of a different school choice option? All parents should be praying, God, show me how to educate my kids. 
But we shouldn't be looking at somebody else's pick something different and looking down on them. I mean, that's just an interesting thing that happens to us in the West because I know being in Liberia and other places where they just don't even have education, Christians aren't ever arguing about that because they don't have it. They just, they really care if they get some food to eat. Do I distance myself of someone of different socioeconomic status? Maybe they make more, maybe they make less. Friends, there, we need to be aware Jesus came to break the dividing wall of hostility. Obviously, first, the dividing wall of hostility between us and him, but then between us and others. Jesus came to serve. He didn't come with his own self-agenda. He didn't come to be worshipped. He came to serve. And Jesus, Jesus wasn't like Jonah. Jonah shared a, a message, but Jesus came, and he could have shared the message, you people are under God's wrath. Wrath of God is coming and just left it there. But Jesus, no, he comes and he stands in between the two. The wrath of God that's rightly deserved to be poured out on sinful men and women. And he stands in the way and he takes upon himself the full and complete wrath of God so that we don't. So that we can receive his mercy. So anything that we do that is right or righteous is from Christ. It's received from Christ because the, the righteousness that we have is not something that we have generated. It's because of Christ. When God looks upon us and he sees righteousness, he sees Christ's righteousness, not the things that we do. So may we never use those to put ourselves up and put others down like Jonah did. Because friends, we live in a day of hate. We, that is no secret. Everyone is aware of it. You feel it when you read the news, when you interact with people, when you go to certain places. It's just constant. And we are not called to look less like the world. We are called to look radically different from the world. Radically different from the world. We, we get all of our righteousness from Christ. We are a redeemed people. The thing that defines us most is the fact that Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins and he's made us part of his family. That's what's important. That's what, where we should start when thinking about relationships, when thinking about everything. It's, it's redefined how we relate one another. It redefines how we relate with folks inside the church, with folks outside the church. It redefines everything because it's not based on what I do. It's, it's based on what Jesus has done. And we need to remember that because Jonah's problem was a memory problem. He was exceedingly angry in part because he forgot what God had done for him. Remember what God had done for him. We know as we've gone through the book of Jonah, God preserved him. God saved him. He could have let him die at the bottom of the sea, but he doesn't. He sends a fish and he saves him. Let's not forget 
how amazing mercy is. And this was just days, maybe even a month before. But Jonah was willing to throw that all aside because he was getting something he didn't want. And he really wanted something he didn't get. And even practically in day to day, you know, when we're short with someone in a conversation, at home, you know, there's nip at one another, there's a little bit of anger there. What are we forgetting in those moments, those small moments? We're forgetting that God has been merciful to us. We want God's mercy when we screw up and make mistakes, but yet the, the loved one that we have, we, we don't want God's mercy for them in, in those moments. We want them to be aware that they're wrong. We want them to be aware they've messed up, and we just got to snip it out. So it's a, it's a memory problem. We got to remember God's mercy has been extended to us. The Bible points us to the fact that he has pursued us and God continues to pursue Jonah. When you look at verse four, because even as Chris read this morning, he ends with verse four and says, and the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? We're kind of like, well, let's just keep reading. There's more to this story. Like, don't end there. But no, we want to we stop at that point because God, let's know what God isn't doing. God's not going, you fool. I can't believe that you are acting like this. You fill in the blank of words that we probably shouldn't say. Like, what are you doing. No, what do we see God doing? We see God coming to Jonah, and it, it feels almost gently asking the question, do you do well to be angry? God's saying with just a few words, hey, hey, is this, is there something going on here that you should be aware of? Is there, is there something going on under the surface, this turmoil in your heart? Is this, is this good for you? And God obviously knows it's not good for him. God knows what's going on because God knows our hearts. He knows what we are going to say before we say it. We know all of that as we've talked about Psalm 139 throughout this book. But he asks questions. He doesn't walk away. He's patient with Jonah. Because we actually have seen Jonah grow a little bit. I know at first you don't see it because he's, he's angry when you're like, he shouldn't be angry. But remember what he was like back in the beginning of chapter one. He hears God tell him to go do something and he runs from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't pray. He runs from the presence of the Lord. Well, what's happening in this instance? Well, he's finally coming to the presence of the Lord, and he's interacting with him. Yeah, his attitude is really stinky, but he's engaging with God. Growth takes time, and God is patient with us. Now, I feel like in my life, growth takes painfully long, but we need to know that God is pursuing us as 
he pursued Jonah, patiently pursuing. And he helps us to pursue others because he reminds us that he's pursuing us. And so when we engage with others who may be struggling or may be hard to work with, no, we, we can help them and not just go, well, I think I'll just be patient. I think uh, while they're messy over there, I think I'll just, I'll be patient because the Lord's patient. No, he helps us to lean in to the messy. He helps us to lean in, to be patient with the growth of others, to ask questions like he asked questions before we make statements about other people or come to conclusions. Let's have dialogue. Let's have real face-to-face interaction with one another, with our Bibles open. Let's pray scripture over them. If we don't get to talk with them, let's go to places like, you know, Ephesians 3. At the end of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has a great prayer. If you're like, I don't know what to pray, just pray that prayer. It will probably change you as you're praying it. There's prayers in Philippians all throughout Scripture. We can pray those things for others as we're patient with them. Because God has pursued us. And we can pursue others. And you, you're being pursued right now by God's mercy. In closing, there's just a couple questions I want to ask. You know, is there, is there anyone you have given up on that God is calling you to be a means of grace for? Is there anyone? Is there anyone you have distanced yourself from that God is calling you to pray for or pursue? Now, those are some questions we can ask to to take steps forward. But the thing we need to remember is that Jesus pursued us. Jesus came to us. I want to ask the worship team to come forward because we're going to be taking communion soon so that we can be reminded afresh of what Christ has done. Now, I know as we've gone through this text this morning, we spent a lot of time on Jonah and things he's done wrong. And there's some things that are just going to be hard for us to wrestle with. Some of you are still kind of hanging on to something maybe I said early on. And you're just kind of wrestling with that. But we don't want to end with the, just the conviction that is helpful for us. But we want to be end with that which will motivate us to live a changed life. We want to be reminded that Jesus died for our sins, we want to be reminded of our life before we knew Christ and how we came to Christ. And now that we are a new creation in Christ, how we're changed. And if you're here this morning and you're like, I I don't have that story. Well, today is a day where you can come to know Christ simply by praying, Father, forgive me for my sins. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and I want to follow him even though I I don't know what that all means. You know, you can Talk with Wes and I afterwards, or you could talk with Mark, who's going to be at the welcome table, or grab one of our elder small group leaders. We'd love to talk with you before you go, but we want to be reminded of what Christ has done. So in a few moments, I'm just going to ask you to come forward to get the elements. And we're going to put three questions up on the screen for you to consider. Now, I, in putting them up on the screen, I don't want you to be like, okay, i got to answer all three of these questions. I'm going to read through them, and then just, just grab one. 
to consider as you come to get the elements, as you sit back down before we take the elements together. We just want to take a time to just reflect. Maybe, maybe we need to pray and uh, repent of something. Maybe we need to pray for someone. Maybe we need to just sit at the foot of Jesus. But here's the questions that are going to be on the screen as we come forward. What is God exposing where he's going to help you grow? So he may be exposing something, but no, he's going to help you to grow. What drives you to despair that God wants you to bring to him in prayer? Jonah came with kind of an attitude with prayer, but God wants us to come to him in prayer when we're struggling because he'll walk with us and deal with us and bless us. In light of God's mercy towards you, how can you be an expression of God's mercy towards others? We want to respond to the mercy that has been extended to us. Let's ponder the mercy that has been extended to us in Christ. So come forward, take the elements, spend some time praying, and then I'll call us back up and we'll take the elements together. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.